0: This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID, the smart choice for MDL implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant and UL certified for all transaction modes. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to Anvacast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community, now celebrating our 90th anniversary. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. This week, we are talking to another new partner, at least new to the podcast, the National Association of Motor Vehicle Boards and Commissions. And to learn about this group, I am joined by the president of the NAMVBC, William Childress, who is also the executive director of the Virginia Motor Vehicle Dealer Board, and also joined by AMVA's own vehicle director, Paul Steyer. Uh, Paul, welcome back. And William, welcome to the AMVACast. All right.
1: Thank you. Good morning. Thank you.
0: Thank you. William. And you know, and in a way, it's you know, welcome back to the Anva <laughs> community. You never really left the Anva community. You've, you know, for those who don't know, before being with the um, Vehicle Motor Vehicle Dealer Board, uh, William was uh, in a leadership position at the Virginia DMV. So understands the connective tissue that brings these communities together. Uh, so, William, tell us a little bit about the National Association of Motor Vehicle Boards and Commissions. I suppose we've got a lot of listeners that are probably working for years in the motor vehicle space and may not know this other membership group exists that, you know, if you drew like a Venn diagram, there wouldn't be a complete overlap on top of each other, but probably a pretty significant overlap between the ANVIL world and the world of the NAMVBC.
1: (laughs) yes and thank you uh before i became a director of the dealer board in virginia i really didn't understand uh, this organization as well but the organization uh, for the most part uh is boards and commissions that are responsible for licensing uh dealers throughout the country i don't think there's that many of us out there i think it's about somewhere in the neighborhood 20 25 at the most that's probably on the hot side uh for the most part again these organizations just deal with the licensing of dealerships in some states, uh, they may be for new uh, vehicles only, new dealerships only, uh, there are a few of us, uh, very rare, that deal with the new dealers and the used dealers like we do here in Virginia, but the biggest part of this organization is that the manufacturers are, are a big part of this, this particular group, and with the manufacturers uh, who come to our meetings, uh, they're looking for answers and looking for solutions and connections uh, with the uh with the dealer community on the licensing side, of which, of course, a lot of those people are a very big part of your AMBA community, uh, which is why we were looking at the opportunity to partner with you to have that cross-pollination of the two organizations so that we can uh, better serve our uh, manufacturer community to, to meet those uh, uh, AMBA and DMB people to get their questions and points across.
0: And when you say there's only about 20 of you, is that because in... Uh, not all jurisdictions have a separate entity that deals with licensing, and it's embedded in another agency, such as most traditionally the DMV?
1: That is absolutely correct. That is it.
0: So you've got 20, uh, and as opposed to ANVA, your this association is strictly U.S.?
1: Yes, for the most so part. So in
0: the U.S., you've got 20 states that have some sort of governance body oversight government entity overlooking licensing of dealers, whereas in the balance, it's embedded into the DMV's functions. Is that is that a fair assessment?
1: That's a fair assessment from you know, what I'm saying to you. And I'll also say, Ian, that I think that's on the high side. We're still searching and looking for those other organizations. So um, 20 is, is probably on the high side, but it's, very, it's not very many of us. Uh, some yeah. states have two different uh, boards, maybe a used board and a new vehicle board. Some have a combination. It depends. So I say twenty. That's including all those in that particular makeup.
0: Yeah, and you're saying that in Virginia, you're even one of a smaller subset dealing with new and used, whereas maybe the new is more common.
1: That's correct. Mm-hmm.
0: And any sense as to why why that is? Why there's this maybe disproportional focus on oversight of licensing new dealerships versus the used dealerships?
1: Uh, that's a great question. And we're still exploring to see if we can understand that better ourselves. I know here in this state until uh, 2015, the used vehicles were with DMV and the new vehicle commission was the, the board here in Virginia. In 2015, legislation was passed to put it all under one umbrella. And it was an effort to, I guess, free up some of the DMV resources, but also to give the board uh, I guess, more focus and, and put it all together. So the rules will be the same for everybody in terms sure. of um, new vehicle versus uh, used vehicles. And um, and I think uh, Colorado, for once, a state that's very similar to Virginia. So there may be another one that does both used and new and use together, I'm not for sure. But it's something yeah. that I, I will probably hope that will catch on across the country more so, <laughs> but I don't think it will.
0: I mean, from a, a novice's viewpoint, Used car dealers obviously are usually strictly used cars, but a news car dealer new car dealership usually also sells used vehicles.
1: Yes, and, and that's because of the uh, I guess the agreement, the arrangement with the dealer and the manufacturer have in place, but the, you gotta give them an opportunity to to give rid of the, the inventory that they receive on trade in. So yes, yeah, mm-hmm. so I think that's pretty much understood in most cases. If you have a new a vehicle commission that they're also going to sell used cars that they're taking in on trade-in from the consumers who are buying, of course, new cars.
0: Yeah, and you know, uh, Paul, as you talk, talk to our members that don't have separate entities, um, just for folks to understand, kind of structurally, h- how do we usually see that integrated into the DMV operation if there isn't a separate entity that's handling this this function?
2: Great. That's, that's a good question, yeah. and, You know, typically your motor vehicle agencies would have a, a separate office that's uh, responsible for dealer licensing, the management of dealer licensing. So, you know, bringing on new dealers, uh, renewing existing dealers, uh, you know, working with uh, the new new vehicle uh, dealers as far as their area of assignments. And then, uh, you know, dealer plates, uh, who, who has access to dealer plates, who issues dealer plates usually falls under that same umbrella as well. Um, So typically we see it as an office within our motor vehicle agencies. And we just recently, uh, due to William and I, our conversation, we added actually a separate contact list within the AMBA directory for dealer licensing contacts, because, you know, like I said, that's usually a separate office. So uh, that's, that's our way of helping uh, helping our members connect with those people that are responsible for dealer licensing.
0: And I suppose, you know, what brings it together is whether it's, a separate board, like in Virginia and some of those places, or it's integrated within the DMV. The issues are the same; they're dealing with the same challenges, the same opportunities, the same yeah. you know business processes of licensing. Uh, and then I'd also have to imagine that if the if it's the manufacturer that's kind of the linchpin, um, that's consistent across all states. Because if you're a GM dealer, you're a GM dealer, and you're dealing with GM. And so how have you, what have the two of you discovered are some of these common issues, common challenges, regardless of structurally where it sits? Um, You know, maybe I'll start, I'll start with William to say, you know, are there a handful of key challenges, challenges may be too negative, but these key shared issues that whether you are independent, like you are in Virginia, or you're integrated as you are in another place, what are some of those most common questions or common topics coming up?
1: Well, that's a fair question, Ian, and I I think Paul will probably agree to the ones I'm about to to announce. Uh, (laughs) I hear about title issues every day. Uh, Mm. Customers buying cars who can't get titles to cars within a period of time that meets their needs. Uh, And here in this state, we uh, try to get it to the customer within 30 days uh, after the sale, that's state law. Uh, Title issues, um, also issues with consumer complaints dealing with the purchase of a vehicle, whether it's a warranty, whether it's the price of the vehicle, whether it's the processing fee, uh, whether it's the uh, trade-in not being fair or, or whatever the case may be, we hear about all those problems all the time. Um, I guess another thing that we hear a lot about is our online vehicle sales. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I purchased a vehicle, uh, through a particular company that's located in California and I'm having issues. And so we get involved with those cases as well. And, uh, of course, which those are harder to deal with because you're dealing now with uh, an entity in another state under different
0: laws sure. the state that we're in right now. So
1: that's a, a huge challenge. Um, and how about
0: uh, licensing those online dealers to begin with?
1: Absolutely. In some cases, uh, in this state particularly, we have a, um, a mindset and a process in where we pretty much, if you're not physically located within this state, we can't license you. Uh, if you look at another state, and you're just advertising and selling over the internet, or whatever the case may be, and just delivering the vehicle here, you don't qualify for a license in the state right now. So therefore, we have no jurisdiction over that entity. But yes, uh, that's also always a big issue. So yeah. we, uh, we 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 try to talk to the these dealerships and and encourage them if they're going to sell vehicles here to have a presence here so that we can license them uh, to better serve our customer base.
0: Yeah. So, you know, with these shared issues, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on to, to chat this week is um, we've all found a way to maybe try to build a higher profile of this linkage and the interaction, which is we're going to have some joint sessions at the ANVA Annual International Conference coming up in a couple of weeks in Madison, uh, where you're having your, if I understand it correct, your annual meeting of the association is going to start kind of on the tail end as ours finish. Right which allows for a half day of togetherness. (laughs) Tell me, uh, Paul, tell me a little bit about, you know, how you and William identified how best to use that time together and the topics that, you know, would be of interest to AMVA members and of interest to the the NAMVBC. I assume you Mm -hmm. guys don't have a pronunciation of it. You say all the, all the letters, William, is that correct? (laughs) NAMVAC. Is it really? You say NAMVAC.
1: Yes. Okay.
0: All right. I know I sound too much like now. It's and, like when and, someone gets on and says, well, I'm happy to talk to the AAMVA. Like a, they're no. clearly not hanging out with us when you say it that way. <laughs> so Sorry. Go, go ahead, Paul. And, and Ian, really
2: the thoughts for this joint meeting came together with William and I several years back. about uh, we, we served together on the internet Internet Vehicle Sales Group, and we've talked for several years about all the dealer regulatory, dealer licensing challenges and you know the need to uh share resources with each other so we we can collaborate we can share information and so through the last several years we've talked about well what what things should we do in this session so you're going to see this first session really talking about what are all the challenges currently today in regulating dealers uh for the dealers themselves as well um, because you're going to hear from uh, representatives from the national independent auto dealers association from the uh, NADA, so NADA is the National Association of Dealers Association, you'll hear from, and also we have a representative from the Iowa Automobile Dealers Association that's going to speak about, you know, what are the vehicle sales issues that they're seeing, Mm. and how does that impact the regulatory business, uh, you know, because they have to comply with various state regulations, right? And we're also going to hear from uh, what's going on from uh, the aspect of temp tags, dealer license plates, uh, getting access to dealer plates, and some of those challenges. And then we'll hear about the unfortunate fraud that's occurring with people taking over uh, dealerships websites or creating fictitious dealer websites to make them appear to be dealers and then getting unsuspecting customers to send money and it's not really a real a real dealership. So uh, from William and, and I conversation, we're really bringing together a variety of aspects related to the dealer licensing, dealer regulatory world that I think will really help all, you know, both of our groups tremendously.
0: Mm. Now, you know, when I look at that linkage, you know, William, I look in some of the places of your of the membership, there's a very clear connection to the, the DMV, such as I believe in Virginia, you know, you're the executive director, but the commissioner of the DMV is chair of the Virginia board, if I remember correctly. That's correct. And I think there was something similar with your predecessor in the association role in Tennessee. There's a very direct linkage, but I also know that in some jurisdictions, it's not as straight of a line between their jurisdiction board and they in their dmv um and then of course there's ones that don't have but so i'm trying to understand the the pros and cons of the different models if there are any um you know and someone from yourself who is at the dmv and all these processes you're talking about titling transactions license plates dealing with you know the dealership um from an outsider's view you would go well Why the extra level? Why the extra step of having this separate board of commission that is separated from the government agencies that's running all these business processes?
1: Well, I can't speak for the other jurisdictions, but I I think here um, in Virginia, I can speak from what I experienced here. Uh, I can clearly say that when I was at the DMV uh, as a director of vehicle services, the used car uh, licensing fell under my preview at that particular point. And I can be completely honest with you, I did not pay that much attention at the time because when I got there, what I learned was it was not a rubber stamp process, but close to it. They Mm -hmm. paid their renewal fees each year, we accepted the fees, and we moved on, and we didn't do anything else with it. When I came over here across the street and took over this position, I then learned the other side of of the fence in terms of you take the money, yes, but you also go out and you inspect them. You check them for compliance, you check their records, you check for the titles, you check for the temp tags, you see if the temp tags are lawfully issued. Uh, mm-hmm. You make sure that, that the staff is on the W, it's not on a the, uh, 1099, they're on the W2, that they are full-time employees as they should be. You, you, you make sure, we make sure that they're in compliance with state law and we have more of a hands-on approach when it comes to the consumer portion of it. So my mm-hmm. impression looking back now is that at DMB. DMV was so consumed with so many other issues, uh, with uh, licensing issues for uh, drivers, with uh, insurance issues for vehicles, with a lot of other issues that they didn't give it the attention that it warranted as far as on the dealer side. And here, at least, the dealer board is broken out, and that's our main focus, is to uh, keep the dealer community in line, but also be there to assist and provide service to the consumer.
0: And it's interesting you talk about the consumer because I do notice that some of that, if it's not the direct line to the DMV or the equivalent of the DMV, such as a Department of Revenue or something, right. that it does seem to be aligned with a jurisdictions consumer protection mm-hmm. type office, mm-hmm. which is a interesting other you know balance of it that maybe, again, probably more because of resources, a DMV may not have as much time right. to a lot to doing that, that time of work. Paul, have you heard that from our members that it's not it's not out of a lack of interest or desire to do these things that William wants that he talks about? It's about being able to focus and dive deeper into it.
2: Yeah. And Ian, I think that's a that's a really good point, because when you have the board and commission and William can talk more about this, it's quite different than how a DMV would who's responsible to regulate a dealer may may handle a complaint, for example, of not delivering title. Uh, a DMV may have an investigator, you know, visit with the dealer, maybe issue a citation for not delivering a title. Whereas the board and commissions has a process, formal process of reviewing those complaints and and um, you know having peers review those complaints, uh, which is quite different than maybe having just a DMV investigator looking at those type of things. So I think it's it's a different perspective, um, but is one better than another or not? I think that's probably up to be. The, debated, right, as far as uh, who has the most uh, time and interest in in reviewing these things. But consumer protection plays a critical role in this because that's really what we're we're about, right? We're about protecting the consumer because it's the for most people, it's the second most expensive, if not the first most expensive thing that they'll purchase as a vehicle. And when you have a vehicle that you can't drive because you can't get a license plate uh, or there's a lien issue or something, uh, you know, that... Really is a real hindrance to a consumer from being able to, you know, live live their life uh, if they can't take the kids to daycare, can't get to work, can't get to grocery store.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So you know, we mentioned protection. we mentioned titles a few times. Uh, one of the topics I know you're going to be talking about in this joint session is something we've talked about a while. Goes back to when you were at the DMV, William. This idea of a future of electronic titling, mm-hmm. and so I'm curious from the other chair you're in from the association your view your thoughts about the the promise of what could be a more robust electronic titling ecosystem and what what that could mean for your portion of the of the operation
1: that would be a game changer um uh, so <laughs> yes, uh, a huge game changer while I would be excited for i guess moving ahead advancing in technology uh as we all know, the cars are moving faster than the titles are moving right now. Uh, I got—I have a feeling that when the electronic title process is accepted and thoroughly implemented, that that's going to move exceptionally fast. And I wonder then if we can keep up with it. So I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to the challenges of the new technology and the challenges of the future. But I do have some, some concerns with it uh, because, as you know, those who have a uh, history or a knack for finding ways to manipulate processes. We'll also find a way to manipulate this. And I was just wondering what the challenges would be uh, once we uncover what they're doing with it. Uh, so I'm, sure. I'm happy on one hand, but I'm also very concerned on the other hand that we're going to have some, some bigger issues going forward. But yeah. uh, I'm excited, though, to give the opportunity to see how it works out. I'm looking forward to That's it. Good. And, and, Ian, if yeah. I can just add, you know, first yeah, of
2: during our joint sessions, uh, we're really excited to have both the, the AMBA community and the National Association Board of Boards community together to talk about our movement to electronic titling, uh, you know, the strategy development, the vision development, because we, we're all in this together. Uh, it, impacts, it impacts our manufacturers all the way through the, the salvage industry and junk industry as well. So by having all of that um, knowledge base together, it's really going to help us uh, really uh, further research and develop a, a strategy you know and, and a vision for interoperable electronic titling. So that I think there's some real value in that session as well um,
0: mm-hmm. during the conference. You know, and you mentioned the manufacturers again, Paul, as did William earlier. So uh, talk to me about what what are the challenges or the conversations that you're having with manufacturers that are more of a global conversation as it relates to this oversight of dealers, right? Not necessarily on the electronic tiling per se, but, you know, obviously if you're having to deal with oversight of dealerships, um, there's got to be some commonalities across jurisdiction lines, and maybe some commonalities among manufacturers. And it's all, you know, you might have hundreds, thousands of dealerships in any jurisdiction, but there's only so many manufacturers. Right, And so, you know, how, how are those conversations like?
1: Well, the biggest thing I have with the manufacturing community um, when we have our meetings is that they have a lot of ideas, a lot of things that they want to do, implement, and come up with. But when they are doing these things, they have no idea of what the jurisdictions have to do to implement their ideas. Yeah. And as you know, because every jurisdiction has different laws, policies, and processes that nobody is the same. But when I'm talking to manufacturers, their biggest thing is they have no clue who to talk to to even see if their ideals are feasible or possible.
0: That's the mm. biggest thing I
1: give them all the time. So when they're talking to me, it's mostly about who can I talk to 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 see how this will work. And most times I would tell them to start in their home jurisdiction with that particular uh, body, uh, DMV people or abortion commission ones there. That's the best place to start and then go from there. Um, or come to the meeting and we'll hopefully have somebody there that you can talk to as well. A lot of times, I've offered up uh, Amber uh, as a, a point of contact for them to to talk to about these things. But when I'm talking to them, for the most part, it's all about their new product or their new ideas or their uh, new processes. But they don't have anybody to bounce off of to see if it's a if it'll be a good idea in a particular region of the country, mm-hmm. a particular state, or the states the states uh, as one. And
0: then, Ian, if I and can Paul, add- you mentioned earlier having the yeah, please. So if
2: I can just add to that too, uh, one of the things that uh, the internet has really changed is the fact that manufacturers now the potential exists for manufacturers to sell directly to the consumer. And if and if you think back mm-hmm. when vehicle sales first originated, you know that was not even it wasn't even a thought, mm-hmm. right? So you you had the manufacturer had to have a dealership somewhere in a community that the public could go to to look at these vehicles and purchase vehicles, but Today, because of the Internet, um, some of your manufacturers are pushing the envelope, saying, you know, we don't need to have a brick and mortar building anymore. We can just sell directly to the consumer, which challenges many of our jurisdictional laws and rules and policies uh, and consumer protection concerns as well. So that's a that's a topic that I envision we'll, be, we'll spend some time with William on and, and his group uh, during that conference session, just talking about that, that that kind of that push from the manufacturers to get those vehicles directly to the consumer, um, you know, instead of having a brick and mortar type facility
0: or manufacturers that have brick and mortar, but isn't a third party dealership. It's just part of their, you know, own exactly. operation, obviously Exactly. Tesla comes to mind. They're probably one of the first ones that said, we don't need to have a third party. We're just going to sell them ourselves and with brick and mortar or online, um, and right. then there are, you're right, there are others, you know, it's not the big traditional manufacturers you think of, but it's more the new market entrance. But I guess it's only a matter of time before some of the bigger manufacturers go, well, we can just sell directly as well. We don't mm-hmm. cut out the middleman, so to speak.
1: Well, right. um, some of them are pushing that envelope right now. Some of them are in court yeah. right now, pushing that envelope.
0: Why are they in court doing it? What's the What's the legal question about the ability or the challenge to doing it?
1: From my understanding, the ones that are in court is based off existing state laws.
0: So uh, state laws
1: prohibit them right now from doing so.
0: From a direct uh, sale. Right. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And what do either of you know? I mean, I'm sure those laws go back decades, yes. but I'm curious as to what the original... I mean, it was probably some sort of dealers association that said we should put this protection into law. But there yep. must have been some sort of justification instead of why a manufacturer shouldn't be allowed to sell directly and should have to go through a dealership.
1: Well, I can't state for a fact, Ian, but I have heard conversations from some of the dealer associations, the new car deal associations, that when this thing first started years ago, decades ago, as you said, that it was understood that manufacturers are good at producing and making cars. They weren't good at selling cars. And the mm. dealerships, especially in the communities, were good at that and could provide the service that the consumer needed. So through the laws, through the dealer-manufacturer agreement, uh, these came about a long time ago and have been in place ever since in, in most jurisdictions. And my understanding now is that now that some of these dealerships now are looking at, Tesla's success in terms of um, a company like Tesla, who's able to sell directly to the consumer without mm-hmm. having that third party involved, they want to test the wars themselves. And if you notice, in some cases, they're trying to do this with the electric vehicles instead of the traditional vehicles. Yes. They're taking the alternative method vehicles and they're trying to go directly to the consumer versus the traditional gasoline vehicle. Uh, so, but the associations, though, the new car associations are coming back with, hey, the manufacturer dealer laws prohibit that in this state and those are laws on the books. So therefore, uh, those cases are ending up uh, in the courts or talk about going to court
0: anyway.
2: Ian, I, I anticipate a lot of legislative discussions because, you know, when you think of franchise dealers, they've invested a lot in the community, they've invested a lot in that facility and hiring employees. And so as this movement to, you know, internet sales directly to the consumer increases, uh, there'll be a lot of discussions, I'm sure, with legislators about how do you protect the investment and, and things that have been there and just how things have evolved and how do you, uh, how do you navigate that now when you have these big facilities uh, in place uh, and, and you want to create a fair market as well. You, know, you want to create a fair market for selling vehicles. How, how does that work in the current age that we're in? It'll, it'll be some very interesting
0: discussions.
1: 100 yeah. percent agreement. 100 percent. agreement.
0: That's fascinating. Well, I think we'll look forward to those discussions and hopefully having more of them uh, at AIC and more of these collaborative conversations where where we overlap. That's a good, uh, exciting, fascinating one to to keep our eye on um, as the marketplace changes. Because clearly that is a built on a 80, 90 year old model, and how much that is going to stay into this, you know, into this century with, like you say, with different kind of vehicles and challenging even our notions and definitions of what is or isn't a vehicle, um, and nevertheless, how they could be purchased and sold in in the marketplace. So definitely an exciting, changing area to to keep our eyes on. Well, Paul, William, thank you both for spending some time with us today. William, we're super excited to strengthen this collaboration and really raise the profile at it at the annual conference in, in a couple of weeks. Uh, we will look forward to seeing you there in person, look forward to meeting some of your members, uh, and, uh, best of luck as you finished preparations for your part of your annual meeting, which I guess you'll just continue on doing after, after we meet together. Cause, um, oh, yeah. unlike, unlike AMVA that has folks like Paul and myself on a, on a staff to put it together, you guys are 100% all volunteer doing it, um, in your spare time, so to speak. Isn't that correct?
1: Uh, that is correct. And I wish I had more spare time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, not no, we all, well, I'll give you some back, back right now to get back to it. So, William, Bye. Paul, thank you both for joining me today. As always, thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, everyone stay well. Thank you for joining us for Ambacast. Hosted by Ian Grossman. Produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Music by Gibson Arthur. This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.